Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 22, Pages Paper, recorded on September 22nd, 2014. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Shoebalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. So what's new? Today's the first official day of fall. It definitely feels like it here in New York City. Here, too, in Boston. I wanted to uh, comment and then ask you to comment because you've been home for a few weeks after a whole lot of traveling, and I am noticing a difference in your blog, and I'm wondering what kinds of things you've been able to do now that you've been home for a while as opposed to when you're on the road a lot. I swear to you, I had almost forgotten what it was like to be home. Um, and it, I think it actually makes a huge difference because... Uh, you know, I feel like I have the time to make art and to think about things I want to do and not just sort of run and catch up with stuff. And so I know I've been doing a lot of tutorials lately and I'm back in the swing of just making things for fun because I want to and not because I have to. And I've also done a lot of housekeeping. So like I updated the entire Balzer Designs tutorial archive and the Art Journal Every Day archive. And I've been meaning to do this comprehensive list of all my stencil designs. And I got that up on the web. And today I've actually been working on a um, redo of my blog design. And, you know, just it's it's like all the things that you want to do. I remember um, a, long ago, before I really started traveling so much, somebody said to me, oh, my gosh, you're so prolific what's the secret to your success? And the truth of the matter is I just, I was home and I had the time to do it. And now that I travel so much, it is so much harder. And I don't know how people who have a family and travel do it. That just to me seems insane and impossible, but I'm so happy to be home. And I think it's, it's one of the reasons that I think I'm going to really severely limit my teaching schedule for 2015. Cause I just, I need to be home. It's so much more fun when I'm making things and, you know, feeling creative and excited and not sort of like unpacking a suitcase to pack a suitcase to unpack a suitcase to pack a suitcase. I have to confess to being slightly disappointed because when you said you were able to do a lot of housekeeping, I was thinking, oh, she's making her bed. <laughs> no, I, I could be home for 100 years, mom, and that bed is never getting made. I think it's that's very true. sad. Clearly, you raised me wrong. I think that we should lay the blame where it belongs. As always. <laughs> and I also have a sink full of dirty dishes. But I did record a video tutorial today, so you can see where my priorities are. Well done. There you go. Anyway, I want to introduce our guest today, who is Paige Martin. And uh, Paige fell in love with book and paper arts in college, uh, which was not so long ago for her. She's a wee little thing of, I think, 25 or something like that, which would probably kill me for saying that. But anyway, <laughs> she went on to work as a professional bookbinder and independent cut paper artist. And she is now part of the Cloth Paper Scissors editorial team. So welcome, Paige. Hi. Welcome. For, thanks for having me. Well, we, we couldn't help ourselves because as it turns out, Paige, who lives in the Boston area, moved into the same town that I grew up in. I know. So I'm see, so, we're so just close to your mom. I know, exactly. So close <laughs> to my mom. I'm sorry for you. Oh. It counts as stalking at some level, I think. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Paige, I want you to sort of take us through, because right now I know... Um, you're, the editorial team for Cloth Paper Scissors is such a big thing to say, but mm -hmm. it, it actually, so you are, or you're the editor of Pages Magazine, right? The art journaling magazine? Yeah, so I'm assistant editor for special projects, really. So I do pages and paper art and any random little things that we have that come 
that come up, I, I end up handling. Now, being an editor at a um, art magazine is sort of not necessarily where you thought you'd be when you were in college oh, and stuff. No. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of guessing. So why don't you take us through your <laughs> journey? Well, uh, so when I was in college, I was really, I was doing a lot of art, obviously. Uh, but I also did linguistics. And I was really interested in teaching foreign languages. And somehow I ended up discovering handmade books. I used handmade books books as an option for trying out different techniques of teaching uh, foreign languages and how, you know, using a handmade object affects that learning process. So I really thought I'd be teaching once I got out of college. I actually have a teaching license for Massachusetts. Um, but when I first got out, I ended up hooking up with a painter, a woman who studied at RISD, and she does uh, interior design, and she does beautiful stuff. But she does a lot of hand-cut stencils, which is where I came in. So I spent a while doing house painting and doing uh, decorative faux finishes and whatnot. Uh, and I ended up, you know, I wanted to study bookbinding more. I really had only done it, uh, personal studies. I had no formal training. So I discovered I had a bindery, you know, two seconds down the road from me as I was living in Waltham. And I emailed them and said, hey, I really want to learn more about bookbinding. I'll just come by. You don't have to pay me. And it turned out some guy had just left the day before. So I got my little break and they hired me. So that was the start of the bookbinding for me. That's kind of amazing that they just hired you, you know, when you were like, I don't know anything, but I want to do this. Well, it's kind of, it's a totally different world than I thought it would be. I don't know what I really imagined bookbinding being, but it's, it's very much so a factory kind of job in a lot of instances. And so getting there, they were like, oh my God, you're under 30. We're going to have you do this one thing that involves a computer because no one else can do it. <laughs> And I was like, all right, this computer is from 96, but that's fine. I can definitely handle this. But it was a great opportunity. You know, I met people who had been working in, bind in this one bindery that was in Waltham forever. And they had, you know, been doing it almost their whole working lives. And they taught me tons about restoration and production book binding, which is such a vast world that I really hadn't imagined before For going who there. doesn't know what a bindery is and doesn't really know what production bookbinding is, can you explain some of those terms? Definitely. So binderies do, they will put together books. Um, you know, they'll do everything from uh, college theses to rebinding library books. You know, they also might do menus for restaurants or they might do fine restorations. You know, there are different degrees of book binderies. And by production, I mean some binderies that do really large quantities of books. Um, you know, they'll do several thousand books in a day. Uh, whereas other places that might do fine restorations will really focus on a handful of books and, you know, do it to the best of their ability. And is this a lot of handwork or are you using machines? What's happening here? It varies a lot. You know, uh, I worked at the one bindery for a little over a year and we were purchased by a larger bindery. So I got to see two different aspects of it. 
And the small bindery, we did almost everything by hand. We had a couple machines, but we didn't use them as often. And when I went to this new bindery, I, this place was giant and full of equipment and machinery. You know, they had machines that would take a book from individual pages to fully bound and in cover. So it's wild to see the differences, but you can also tell which one is kind of staying around longer right now. That makes sense. And I actually wanted to go back for one second just to talk about how you were mentioning just teaching with handmade books and sort of mm -hmm. where that idea came from and a little more about how that how, how that whole idea works. Yeah, I so I was interested in what images and text and the the play between the two, how that affects learning. And, you know, what if someone wants to go learn a second language, but they want to do it on their own? And, you know, what if they aren't in a classroom? Can they use a book to start learning? There are plenty of books that really help uh, intermediate or advanced learners. But what about the beginner learners? Is it possible to introduce vocabulary and whatnot in that form without some other outside party so it was it was a an interesting path to take in college. I'm not sure everyone understood what I was trying to do, but uh, I'm not sure I, I totally understand what you were trying to do. I know. <laughs> so I tried different things. You know, what if I do uh, you know a book in English on one side and a book in the second language on another side, but the book in English has certain words replaced in the foreign language. And then in the foreign language, it has certain words replaced in English. So is that enough of a learning experience? I tried a lot of different things like that, that I still don't know if they would really accomplish what I wanted them to, but they were certainly fun to put together. What's also so interesting too, is just, I mean, not just from like an intellectual point of view about thinking about like replacing words and how to teach something and also that, but also it does sort of merge into art form when you start talking about, you know, having these two languages side by side sort of mixed together and what that looks like. And then Absolutely. you're creating a custom book for it. And it's like deciding on page size and color and all that kind of stuff. Like it really, it's an interesting question. Yeah. And I really tried to use bookbinding as a way, you know, can that affect the experience while you're learning these things and while you're encountering whatever you're learning within the book. So it was really, it was interesting to try and find new structures and different ways of incorporating text. You know, what does accordion do versus single pages? And I, I have a lot of interesting books that came out of it. That's really cool. And, you know, it actually reminds me of, you know, we used to value books in a different way. I mean, books were incredible mm -hmm. money because they were all hand bound and hand, you know, pressed or written or however they were done. Right. And right. so sort of in the mass production of books, we devalue them. But I do think that there is something about like when you when you make something, when you put thought into it, when you think about it like that, it becomes it becomes precious. I also yeah, I think, think that now with the computer age and people are reading things online, the, mm -hmm. then the question becomes, is it the content of the book or is it something about the book form itself, which is valuable and interesting? Right. And even seeing people handle handmade books is so interesting now because if it's not, you know, a book from 
a large print edition or something, people are very careful and they act like they're holding some sort of little baby and you can't convince them to use it as they would a normal book. It's interesting. Because I wonder, I mean, because I know you actually gave me a handmade book Mm -hmm. um, when we were at Art Journaling Live. And I have it tucked away in a drawer because I don't want to use it because See? it's very pretty. <laughs> and I think I think it is tough because um, – and I know I gave my friend Natalie a handbound art journal and she said it took her about a year before she was able to make her first mark in it. Oh, my gosh. You know, and that's because every day I was like, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? Because I think we do have this thing about somebody made this thing for you and you don't want to ruin it. You don't want to, you know, do something terrible to it. Whereas, you know, I'll take a regular book and I'm folding down the corner and I'm poking it and doing whatever else. Yeah. And I almost think it's sad because it defeats the purpose of the book. You know, it's meant to be held and written in and carried around with you. Yes, oh. as actually. I mean, I, and I do think like this is the thing that happens when they talk about like art being museumified, which is there's all sorts of art that in its time was meant to be interactive. Like you were meant to open it, you were meant to touch it and be, as right. soon as it goes into a museum, you can't anymore. And like, I think that happens with books too. And I think sometimes about like artist journals and not talking about like the mm-hmm. modern sort of art journaling, but like artist journals that are pages full of like their scratches and their sketches and their whatever that have now become these holy Oh, things. I know. <laughs> You know, when really you can see in them, there's coffee stains and there's a food thing wiped away. There's a grease stain here. You know what I mean? It, it's just right. a book. Mm-hmm. But everything becomes precious after time, I suppose. I know. I just That's think why it's I love to... you so much, Mom. You're precious after time. Just kidding. And getting just more kidding. precious by the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Paige, that you mentioned was, I know you said that the um, house painter you came to, that you went to work for did a lot of hand cut stencils. Mm-hmm. So, and you said, that's where I came in. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about hand cutting stencils. So we would do a lot of, um, you know, repeating patterns. And so she would do these great designs for them. But obviously sitting there and doing these intricate cuts, it's not that fun. So I would often <laughs> go over you and be their You needed a scan and cut. I know that wasn't in my uh, in my repertoire at that point. <laughs> there you go. Actually, she still doesn't have one. I should really tell her about that. There you <laughs> go. You should. But um, because I was doing a lot of paper cut art, uh, it was very easy for me to just sit there and want to cut out the you know the dural R or whatever we were using. Uh, and she loved it because I was very uh, precise when I did it. <laughs> So would she just take the Duralar or the plastic or whatever you're using and draw the design directly on there? Or would she give you a design and you had to scale it up and deal with it? She actually would sketch right on it with usually a permanent marker or something. Uh, So, you know, whatever the darkest lines were, I would go cut those ones. But so she used it as a kind of a sketchbook and it worked out well. That's nice. So you were doing some pretty fancy painting then. Yeah, I mean, we painted, you know, like penthouses in Boston and stuff. So it was a pretty good painting gig, I won't lie. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, you're not up on some scaffolding outside. Well, I did that too, but. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Well, so now I know who to call when I need my house painted. Yeah, I'm I'm quite good at it, I won't lie. Although I shouldn't, (laughs) don't tell too many people because I'll be getting phone calls. (laughs) 
There you go. We won't existence with my parents. They're constantly saying, you know, our house needs to be painted. <laughs> I just think, you know, I, I have a new job now. You know, there you go. Pay me to sit in front of the computer now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let's move on to your new job. So after, I, I if I recall correctly, the bindery closed. The first one did. Yes, the first one I was closed. A second one though. Before and then I you didn't started. like it, or why did you leave? You know, the second one, it was very large. A lot of people work there. Uh, so it wasn't at all the same atmosphere of the other one. You know, my first bindery had, I want to say, four or five people, including the owner and the manager. So going from that to, you know, a couple hundred people, I didn't enjoy this big factory experience. Uh, I learned a lot. There were a lot of wonderful people there, but it just wasn't the right spot for me anymore so you moved on yeah so that's when I ended up somehow at uh cloth paper scissors <laughs> and had you heard of cloth paper scissors magazine before you applied for the job I actually had not and I was really astounded when they told me the publications they had you know I was doing handmade books and they had a publication about handmade books and I thought how is that possible then they had this was right before they were doing paper art. And when I heard about that, I was like, uh, I don't think I want any other job. So if you could just give me this one, that would be great. <laughs> so you were saying that your job mostly consists of sitting in front of a computer. So what, what <laughs> do you do all day, Paige? There, there is a lot of editing involved. Um, we do a lot of coordinating, you know, we do a lot of more than just editing. We have to also, you know, think about marketing, think about what project is coming next. Uh, but there are those really fun times where, you know, I get to travel or we go to a photo shoot and those, those are exciting. What do you do during a photo shoot? Uh, so when I go, I'm really in charge of say the step outs. So we're kind of, I'm the person who has all the technical knowledge of the articles. So I have to go and make sure that, say, if it was pages, I have to make sure that the books are positioned in the right way to represent the article or that it makes sense and it's showing whatever needs to be shown in that step. So it's There's like you're in charge element. of the content. Yes. Sorry, Mom. I didn't mean to talk over no, you. What did you say? No, I was just saying some of her teaching uh, background comes in here because you have to understand how people learn in order to do the right step-outs. Exactly. And overall, with our magazines, we do mostly teaching. So it actually it worked out pretty well. Nothing in life is ever wasted. I always feel that way, that you, you think like, oh, I didn't go down this career path or I didn't do that. But somehow you end up using those skills, you know? Yeah, I'm always surprised to see how things come together. And I think everyone should just try whatever is interesting them, even if it doesn't look like they're going to come together right away. There, There is always some option down the line where you will say, oh my gosh, that actually was worth it. And look what I'm doing now. Look at me now, ma. <laughs> okay, so I know too that um, in your copious spare time, Yes, all that extra time. That you are at the beginning of a project with another um, staffer at the cloth, paper, scissors offices. Yes, we're, we're calling it Project X right now. 
And we've oh, actually lured some. I know we've lured <laughs> someone else into or our it sounds secret dirty. enclave. <laughs> or that option but i like the super secret option <laughs> there you go so tell us about project x well you know one of the things that is interesting at our company is kind of trying to expand beyond the community you already have and i think you know even for large corporations that's a very difficult task you get to kind of a plateau where you can continue and you have your set community, but what about the end of that? And as you teeter off, what do you do next? You kind of have to learn a new skill set or move into a new territory. So um, Iliani, Megan, and I are all trying to find what is going to be that next project. Uh, and we're also trying to use it as an excuse to do something that really incorporates all of our interests. Uh, we're all pretty young, but we're all interested in pretty similar things, even though we work on different teams. Iliani is on the sewing team. Megan is on the design team. But we all like similar items, and we want to see what happens when we mix all of our different talents and try to come up with a project or a community. And I think I think there are plenty of people out in the world that would also be interested, hopefully. <laughs> Let's talk a minute just about the whole team thing, because I think people don't realize that um, Cloth, Paper, Scissors is part of Interweave, which is part of F&W. That's and true. And it's sort of like layer upon layer upon layer, because things have been bought so many times over, kind of. Yes. Can you a little bit explain the way that the big old company works? Absolutely. Uh, so Interweave owns a lot of different titles and communities. Uh, a lot of people might know maybe Stitch Magazine. We also have Quilting Arts. Uh, we have Jewelry Magazines, Knitting Magazines, Crochet Magazines, Weaving. Uh, and we are owned by F&W, uh, which is kind of our parent company. And F&W owns a lot of other things, uh, People might have heard of How Design Magazine. That's also under our umbrella. So it's it's all inclusive, but it's not something you'd really realize unless you dug pretty deep on the internet. So it's but it's great to have such a wide uh, community range because it's not normal that a company is capable of doing so many different crafts. Well, I was also going to say, like, I think it reminds me a little bit of, so the main headquarters for um, Interweaver in Colorado, mm -hmm. the main headquarters for F&W are in uh, Cincinnati, mm -hmm. right? There's also an office in New York, and then you guys are a small satellite office in Massachusetts. Yeah, we have a lot more offices all of a sudden. There are three offices in Massachusetts. No, we wow. got... There's one in New Hampshire. There's, I think there's some people in New Jersey, New York City. There's two offices in Colorado. I mean, they're, they're really widening what they do. We actually just got a, an astronomy magazine. So anything's possible. <laughs> interesting. Well, I think publishing is an interesting world right now. And it seems to be sort of, you know, con well, I don't know the right word for it, but condensing to like a couple big companies that sort of own a wide range of titles because so few people are just doing publishing now, I feel like. Yeah, I have definitely noticed that. And it's a little startling when you actually realize how few companies own all the different publications. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years and 
if anyone gets called out on it. For the monopoly, monopolizing everything? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I think it's really hard because you run into a situation where you're, you know, trying to figure out how to make these magazines different and yet something about them necessarily has to be the same because you're under the same sort of corporate structure and et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. I, I mean, I just realized the other day that a magazine I view as one of our biggest competitors is actually in our company. <laughs> and, and I'm not the only team, you know, there are other teams that are struggling with the same situation. And what do you do when you're kind of fighting for the same readers and the same advertising? It's, it's a very interesting predicament to be in. That is a very difficult and thorny problem. I wonder... I mean, and I, it's funny because I think um, to a certain extent, if I can extrapolate for a minute, I mean, there, there is this thing about like the blog world, which is a whole other new form of publishing, obviously, right. in which again, it's like the audience I'm looking for may be the same as the audience that some another artist is looking for. And, you know, we're both trying to get the same ad dollars or if somebody has money to spend on an online class or whatever else. And the question always exactly. is, how do you make your brand stand out, whether it's a magazine or a blog or a whatever? Mm -hmm. There is and a different. Sorry. There is a different corporate strategy, which, for example, is employed by uh, dog and cat food companies, where there mm -hmm. are multiple types, but they're actually owned by the same people. And their idea is whether you buy our product A, B, or C, you're still giving us your dollars. So they position each one as if it's different from the others. But in fact, they're all made or owned by the same companies. And so... Whichever one you buy, you're still buying it from us. So I wonder makes if there's sense. a little bit of that strategy going on. Yeah, I, that makes perfect sense to me if you'd want to have different groups. You know, you want to be able to take in anyone, no matter, you know, whatever their interests are, if they want organic cat food or regular cat food. Well, but particularly I think with magazines, I think you if, if I'm going to buy a Mixed Media magazine, I'm capable of buying four of them at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Right. If there are four different ones, and then you're getting my money four times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's only interesting when you're within the company and, you know, they're in some ways, I don't know if they're purposely pitting different teams against each other just to make everyone work harder, which is not a bad idea. But it, it kind of breeds a weird animosity once in a while when you finally realize that you're fighting against someone within your company. You're not fighting them, but sometimes Competing. it's a struggle with, yeah, you know, when publications are kind of, it's not as popular, obviously. There's so much on the internet. So it's an interesting time. It's kind of like, you know, when books started to be less popular and you're fighting against the company that you used to work very closely with. Yeah, and I think, I mean, to go back to the thing about, like, you have to do something to make yourself stand out, I think for me, whether it's a magazine or a blog or whatever, the thing that keeps me coming back to the publication is, well, it's really two things. It's one, it's quality. Like that mm -hmm. I know that I'm going to walk away with an idea, a piece of inspiration, a something, you know what I mean? That there's quality there. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is, um, 
I guess I would put it as uniqueness, which is to say, this is not the same stuff that I'm seeing everywhere. Like, there's something here that's different. Definitely. And it's I the think hard part to maintain. It is really hard to maintain because A, like it's really scary to do something that not everybody else is doing. And if everybody else is doing, you know, chevrons, then it's like, oh gosh, we better do some chevrons, you exactly. know, to get people to want our, our part of the market. And then it's like, but hey, why don't we do this thing? But it's weird. But I think, I, but I think sometimes, and it's harder for a magazine because I think it, um, you're working on such a farther out deadline than a blog, mm -hmm. which is working right in the moment. You know, but I think you, there's a kind of authenticity. Like, I, I, there are things I expect to see in cloth, paper, scissors that I don't expect to see, you know what I mean, in another magazine. Or there are things that I expect to see on so-and-so's blog, you know what I mean, that, that are true to their voice. Absolutely. So it's interesting part of their branding. Yeah, because I was going to say, you've had an editor change now. And yes. it and the Jen Mason was the was the first editor of Claw Paper Scissors. Well, second really. I mean, Pokey did it for a while, and then they separated mm -hmm. it into two jobs when it became a full time publication. Um, and then Jen came along, and now Janine. So it's really I wonder if the if if the magazine will maintain the same voice, or if it will necessarily change. Yeah, I also wonder the same thing. It'll be interesting to see because we'll need a little time in between when she's come on and to really have her settle in and feel confident as the editor and uh, of making whatever decisions she wants compared to holding on to whatever Jen had when she was there. Right. So and I'm still waiting to see what happens. I was going to say, because you guys have planned out so far ahead of time, I mean, she won't have, there won't be an issue that's entirely hers until what, January, February, maybe even later? Probably. Yeah, I think you're right. So that's also kind of interesting because your work is on such a delay. Yeah, it, it's a an interesting process to work so many months in advance. So this Crazy. is uh, September. Have you already worked on Christmas? Being, yeah, so like, we've already beyond. Yeah, we have already I've already done uh I think two different holiday issues. They're already some of them have already been printed or they've just gone to the printers. Uh people are already thinking about the January February issues. It's always so strange when we're in meetings because we're like, "Stop talking so far ahead. Just hold on. I just want October." <laughs> Um, I want to talk a little bit about bookbinding. Yeah, me too. And the great love of bookbinding <laughs> that you have. So I know that you said that you sort of fell in love with it a little bit when you were in college figuring that stuff out. But can you just tell us about what kind of bookbinding work you do and sort of what you what you love about it? Yeah, so I do a lot of what I would probably call non-traditional bookbinding. I do love traditional bookbinding, especially after working in a bindery, but I'm more interested in how does this structure change the art that I put into it in some way. Um, and it, it's funny, actually, when I was working in the bookbinderies, I did not do any bookbinding in my free time. And I remember starting at the first bindery and the owner being worried that I wasn't going to do any. I said, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I'm, I, it's not going to stop me from doing bookbinding in my free time, but it ended up happening, you know, doing so much during the day, I would go home and I didn't want to do any. 
So now that I've been at Cloth Paper Scissors, I've actually been doing far more bookbinding than I had previously. I do see some cute pictures on your Instagram. Yes, I'm very into Instagram right now. <laughs> um, so what are what are the book binding styles that you're currently obsessed with? Uh, I really love origami style books. I think the interesting reveal that they can do is really cool. I'm uh, assuming I, from a totally ignorant point of view that mm -hmm. origami style books are books that fold up or into something. Yes. Or they, you know, they unfold just folded structures, really. I'd like to refer to them as origami style books. So do they have no sewing in them? They're just like a single very large sheet that's somehow folded into a book form? Yes. Usually that's what they're, what they involve. Cool. Which is very cool. And by the way, how are you learning like these styles? Is this just stuff you're playing around with? Are you watching DVDs? Are you reading a book? Are you taking classes? I kind of go back and forth. You know, I have a lot of different books on bookbinding that I like. There are a lot of YouTubers who are amazing to watch. Um, there's just such an array of online possibilities that you know, if I'm struggling on something or I need a new book structure, I might hop onto Pinterest or I just Google something extremely vague and see what comes up. So I, I'm constantly surprised with how many ideas there are. Or I just look in Pages Magazine or, you know, any of the number of publications we're doing. And um, when you first started bookbinding, were you doing it sort of blind or were you doing it based on instructions somewhere? Or, you know, because sometimes like I'll start a project just because I want to figure it out. And then halfway through, I'll be like, I need help. And then I go yeah. look up how you're actually supposed to do it. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way, actually. I was definitely doing it blind when I was in college. Uh but I, I think what's great about that is you learn a lot from your mistakes. And I think you learn more from trying to cover up mistakes than you do sometimes when you only do it the right way. Um, but I definitely get into a lot of projects where I'm like, this is going to be fine. I'm not even worried about it. And I get halfway through and I'm like, I have to tear this all apart. This isn't, this isn't going to work. Now, what kind of, I know you have a book binding DVD that just came out from um, Interweave. What kind of stuff is on it? So on the DVD, I did Coptic and then a long stitch variation, which actually looks like it has Coptic on either side. So they're very good possibilities for people who are, who are just starting or even if you've been doing it for a while, I like it still. So for people who don't know what Coptic and long stitch and stuff are, we're talking about sewn binding techniques, right? To make a thicker book. Yes, yes. These so something are... that maybe like art journalers and stuff would be into that binding that kind of book. Oh, yeah. Or someone who sketches and just wants custom made books to take with them. What's the name of your DVD? It is Stitch This Book. Wow. And I even know mm -hmm. what it's about after hearing that title. <laughs> Actually, I think Jen thought of that title, so. There you go. Works so, her wonders. <laughs> so let's talk about Instagram for a moment because I know you love Instagram. And a lot of times what I see on Instagram is pictures of you with some bright red lipstick and some serious <laughs> hot roller hair. <laughs> yeah, I I have a big thing for vintage clothing. Uh, and recently I thought, 
Okay, there's got to be some good way for me to combine bookbinding and my obsession for purchasing vintage clothing because they can't live separately with how much I have going on on either group. So Instagram has been a great way to combine them. And I know that you, um, so there are a couple of secrets I know about you. A, because I've been in a hot tub with you and you told me that you actually (laughs) made your bathing suit from a vintage (laughs) pattern, right? Yes. That's right. She sewed her bathing suit. I thought it was pretty impressive. You were like, oh, it's all messed up here and whatever, but nobody can tell. <laughs> it was a good thing it was black. Let's put it that way. There you go. I thought it looked pretty good. Um, and you, I know you, you and your boyfriend have been taking swing dance lessons. Yes, we, we're pretty into that now. Embracing everything from like the 40s and the 50s, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually a big community in the greater Boston area of people who do swing dancing and they host these vintage events. So it's it's been an eye-opening experience. Now, here's a question which I was thinking, because I know you're into all this vintage stuff, which is I was thinking, you know, in some ways, bookbinding is a very, it's a vintage craft. You know what I mean? It's something yeah. from another time. And I wonder if those interests, you know, this, your style interests sort of in vintage goes hand in hand with your interest in bookbinding. Of course, that you'd have be to be wearing possible. medieval robes then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did one of those, uh, you know, side satchel Bibles that they used to carry around. Yeah, there swinging out to Gregorian chants. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it could be done. It could be done. I believe it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because actually when I look at my books, I don't feel that they look very vintage in any way, uh, even though, like you said, bookbinding is a it's a vintage craft at this point or antique if you want. Uh, but I like that it's it is that kind of a craft, but whatever you do inside of it really changes the whole feel of it. Agreed. Okay, well, I think I think we're going to wrap up unless mom does you have any other questions? Well, I'm just wondering, you know, one it's both a blessing and a curse to be interested in a lot of different things. Are there some uh craft areas you'd like to explore but haven't yet gotten around to? You know, it's funny. I actually feel like I haven't tried enough mixed media stuff, which is crazy because I work at cloth paper scissors. But there are just so many things within that realm that anyone could try. Like, encaustic sounds so cool, but how do you ever get to a point where you can find time for that when you're still mastering other things? So there are definitely a lot of things I still want to try or I want to master because I seem to go in a lot of directions, as you said. But I think we all do. Like, I think that's the thing about being a creative and curious person is I don't want to be limited to doing one thing. I want to do lots of things. Exactly. I think anyway. if you don't want to try different things, that's probably bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think it's kind of like if you were a cook and you only wanted to make the same six dishes, that would be weird, right? I would expect that a chef would be excited about new ingredients and new ideas and tasting new things and not want to make the same meal every single day, you know? Exactly. And so I think the same thing is true for an artist. Like, I don't want to make the same meal every day. I want to try all sorts of different things. Yeah, I so, think you even mentioned in a uh, an article in Cloth, Paper, Scissors that it would be weird if you did the same thing that you did five years ago as an artist. So, so you I can learn new skills and also, I think, new tools 
are very interesting. It sometimes changes the way you approach what you do. Uh, sometimes travel and seeing how other people in other parts of the world have used what they have. I mean, I just think there's a whole world out there of interesting new things all the time. So then when you just said mastery, what is mastery really? Yeah, I mean, this is not, this is a question. real question. What is it? I don't know what it is because if you're always growing and trying new things, do you ever reach mastery? Yeah. And is it worth reaching that point? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there is a thing. It's like you can get a black belt in karate, but then like past that point, I feel like there are still are distinctions between people who have truly mastered it. You know what I mean? Et cetera, et cetera. And I think the same thing is true of any art form. But I, I also sort of feel it's like almost as soon as you've got a hold of it, it's like then it's gone. It's like you've lost it already because being able to get it down to a science or something you've mastered sort yeah. of makes it makes you know it I mean? stale then. Yeah, it makes it kind of die. Done it before. Yeah. Exactly. So maybe you should be striving for always doing something new that you're not sure of, always exploring. Yeah. Well, and I will say, like, I think this loops back to the conversation we were having earlier about, I said, you know, I don't think anything in your life is wasted that you do. And the same thing is true in your art. Like, okay, so you had mm -hmm. that six months where you obsessed with watercolor, and then you <laughs> dropped it. And then you had six months where you're obsessed with encaustic, and then you dropped it or whatever else. But I think that stuff all comes back around. I mean, I know that I've been in a huge jewelry kick lately, and it's been years since I've, you know, brought out some of those wire working tools and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the skills, the skills are still there in the back of my head, <laughs> you know. And it's and the equipment, thank gosh, is still in a drawer in my craft room. And your taste mm -hmm. changes over time. Yes. Exactly. But it all comes full circle. You had the tools, so you were able to revisit it. It all works out. Yeah. I mean, that's also the thing, like, even about vintage clothes, where Paige, you and I might have an, a disagreement about this, <laughs> which is I like things that have vintage styling or aspects to them but I still like them to have like a modern fit do you know what I mean so yeah. it's like I might like you know that vintage fabric but I want it to be cut in a modern way you know what I mean or like I need the collar to be slightly smaller because it doesn't work with today's whatever and it's like right. I always think it's one of those interesting things about fashion how like they take things from the past and they manage to tweak it enough to make it new yeah it's actually funny how many things when you're, you know, looking for vintage clothing, you'll type it in and then you'll realize that, oh, okay, well, in the 80s, they were trying to revisit the 50s. And it's just so funny to see things revisited over and over and over. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's, I mean, listen, I think the movie industry doesn't do it so well. <laughs> but, but fashion is always an interesting place to watch people revisiting. I think art is an interesting place that you see ideas being revisited over and over. You know, it's like anytime we go to a period where it's like way abstract, then we come right back to super realistic, then way abstract, then super realistic, then sculpture, then this, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, exactly. Because you're always trying to do something new and different. And honestly, there are so many ideas in the world. But I think each time you tweak it and invent it, it's kind of like, you know, the first time you make a recipe and you tweak it slightly to make it your own with a different flavor profile, you know, and it does become something new, even though it's based on something old. 
Isn't that what art's all about? <laughs> it is. And actually, I was going to say that's so much what bookbinding is because you can do the same Coptic stitch on 10 different things and it can look totally different based on whether you're binding blank sheets or pages that have artwork or the mm -hmm. size difference, the color of thread. You're, I mean, like there's all sorts of stuff in which you can do the same thing and it can be so different and new and fresh every time. That's what I think it's funny when people think that bookbinding is so rigid because when you really get into it, it's so abstract. It's all in what you do with it. But I think a lot of art forms are like that. True. Although it's funny. So I'm teaching this online class right now, which is my junk journal class, which mm -hmm. is we're binding together this book out of all this junk. And a lot of the questions I have been getting are, are stuff like, well, will this paper work or will that paper work? And, you know, my answer to people is always, well, <laughs> you kind of have to try it yeah. to figure out whether or not it's going to work because I don't know whether it's going to rip through that or not you know exactly because I haven't tried it I don't know how you're pulling and then the other thing is you know how you were saying earlier that you learn more from your mistakes like I have a whole coterie of techniques to use once you rip through your paper because I've done it so <laughs> many times that I have like 12 different ways to fix it yeah but that's a great thing to know there you would have never learned <laughs> Well, see, that's why, see, I like the junk journal because it's like, even if you mess it up, you can't mess it up because when you fix it, it doesn't look like you messed it up. But if you're binding like beautiful <laughs> linen paper, people can tell when you messed it up. I know that even makes me nervous. So we're in the there same you boat. Go. <laughs> that's so why pages. the cake always has to have frosting so you can cover up places <laughs> where the cake is falling apart. <laughs> The divots. It still tastes so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a thing, though, right? I mean, with food, you want it to taste good. I mean, yes, it should look good, but you really want it to taste good. And with art, I feel like there is a difference between art that when you're making it as an art maker feels good. It's like the tasting. Do you know what I mean? It feels good. It feels fun to do it. And the art that sort of looks good, but wasn't necessarily fun to make. Not that the two are always separate. I'm not saying that at all, but I think <laughs> there is sort of an interesting divide there. Definitely. Anyway. Okay. So anything else, mom? No, I'm tapped out. Ah, <laughs> I'm a little sad. Okay. So Paige, where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me on my website, which is pagespaper.com, or they can find me on Instagram at pagespaper, uh, and they should check out the DVD at the Interweave Shop. Cool. And uh, Mom, would you like to add a final thought of wisdom since people can't find you online? I think I'll reserve it for next time. Wow. Okay. So, well, you guys got to come <laughs> back. Have to come back <laughs> for right. next time to hear Yoda's words of wisdom. Um, and as always, you can find me at ballsresigns.typepad.com where I did a blog makeover. Woo, woo. Okay. It's halfway woo. through right now. So maybe don't look right now. Anyway, <laughs> do leave us your comments or questions at ballsresigns.com backslash arting, A-R-T-I-N-G. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show and do tweet about the show, please use the hashtag Pound Arting Podcast, all one word. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you the next time for many words of wisdom on the Adventures in Arting Podcast.